The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. On this episode of This League, we get into some quick news around the league, and boy, oh boy, did more things come out about Nate Bjorkren and the Pacer organization. So we dig in to what has become a coordinated conspiracy, an anti-Pacer conspiracy. Uh, and speaking of pace, we talk about the pace of play in the league and how different contenders stack up quite differently. It's pretty shocking uh, when we get into it. And then we also get into a few listener DMs. All right, Marty. Drop the beat. Let's get into a little news around the league. I'm not sure if you watched it, Marty, but D Rose performance for the ages. Yeah, he looks really good. He just he looks insane. Man, 32 years old. I think it's fair to say this is going to be seen as a hot take, but I think it's fair to say if D Rose was still a piston, the Knicks would be a play in team right now instead of the four seed. He certainly made a difference. Yeah, Huge yeah, yeah. difference. The Knicks were, let's just go into how much of a difference. Knicks <laughs> were 11 and 14 when D Rose came into the team and they made a move. Okay. So. Three games under 500, Mm -hmm. you could extrapolate that out. That is not great. Uh, (laughs) Confirmed. Confirmed not a playoff caliber (laughs) team. Uh, So let's talk about what D-Rose was up to before said trade. He was pretty much, I would say, league-wide left for dead. Yeah. Playing in Detroit playing in a garbage organization and garbage minutes for said organization. In just a grim situation that no one saw like anything positive coming out. I mean, Blake hadn't been let go yet. There was just nothing positive coming out of there. And there was no path forward. Right. There was yeah. a point in time where they were like, we're just going to stop using you moving forward. Yeah. It was uh, tense, we'll say. And I think that D Rose did not want to be there. He was happy to, he was, he was mentoring Killian Hayes. And I don't know if necessarily that's like, it's not bad, but is that, if that's your only job, if that's your only job, I don't know necessarily if that's a good thing. He's, For, not, he's not quite at the Jared Dudley stage of his career. Correct. At all. He still yeah. has some juice left into the tank, tank, but people were like, he is a shell of his former self. He is washed. He doesn't deserve to be in the league anymore. Everyone was just pretty much like, oh, sad for D. Rose, cautionary t- tale D. Rose. Everyone except for Tom Thibodeau. Tom Thibodeau <laughs> literally pulled him from the grave, rescued him, threw him a lifeboat. And at that time, when it happened, I was like, this is such a cute Tom Thibodeau thing to do. You know, just a nice guy doing <laughs> nice things for his crew. You know, Tom Thibodeau always takes care of his crew. Yeah. And that's all I thought about it at the time. I was like, oh, he'll get some backup minutes. Like, it'll be cool, like 10, 15 minutes. Who knows what's going to happen with the manual quickly? Like, does that mean that Tibbs doesn't really like quickly? Yeah, we did a whole, uh, we did a whole set. I don't know if we did a whole segment on it, but we definitely had a clip on it yeah. where all we were just talking about was the D Rose Thibodeau love story. And Correct. that's, but that's all we were talking about. I don't think we mentioned basketball much in that segment. For sure. <laughs> but, yeah. For sure. It was like, it went though from a heartwarming, feel good, take care of your guy kind of move to what looks like one of the more savvy basketball moves this year. Seriously. Yeah. He has been balling, balling. What is more surprising to me, though, is like how Derrick Rose is actually getting these buckets. He has decided, I don't care 
if the mid range is not efficient, I don't care that you guys as a league and, you know, analysts and statisticians think that the mid range is, is a dead spot on the court. That's where I'm shooting from. That is what I'm doing. (laughs) Nine for 10 in the first half against the Clippers all in the mid range. Just as Jamal Crawford said, Derek Rose just thugging it out on all twos. <laughs> That's what he was doing, thugging yeah. it out. Yeah. They are 22 and 10 in the games that Derek Rose has played in. Man. And what's insane is anyone could have picked him up. Anyone. Right. Yeah. Lakers, Clip. I mean, anyone could have saved him. Anyone could have used him. Play, how many playoff teams do you think right now would like what D Rose, what they just saw from D Rose against the Clippers? A, could use a backup guard like that who can kind of do everything? Uh, several. 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 I'm sure I could name like four. Easy. The Lakers would like him right now. Yeah. With D, D, uh, Dennis Schroeder being out. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the Clippers would love to have him. Yeah. Right now. I'm sure that the Nuggets would like him Nuggets, right now. Milwaukee. Milwaukee. Yep, to back up Drew. A lot of teams could be using. Miami could use him if Dragic goes down, which, you know, he's always down. So it's been in, it, it's been remarkable in the most positive possible way. Po- he's 14-2-4 does not describe the impact that he has on the team. He was the guy. He was the reason that that Knicks team beat the Clippers. It was sort of stunning. He even talked about how impactful he has been off the court with some of those young guns as well after the game. All right, Derek Rose is with us, 25 points. So, Derek, you get traded to the Knicks February 8th. Did you know right away, boy, this this looks like a lot different Knicks team, and it looks like a Tom Thibodeau team? Yeah, um, I kind of knew that. I mean, before we, um, before I went there during the preseason, we played them two times back to back, and I saw that. Um, I saw they had a young group, and um, it was great for me to go there, um, get some of that young blood, get some of that young energy, and just try to help these guys by mentoring them and being vocal and working on myself. And like that's being vocal. I never talked this much in the past. Wow. And um, I'm steady, trying to get better, and um, as a player, and um, it's going to help me in the offseason. Yep. So. That is, I don't know if you can hear it, but his voice is trembling. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's emotion. I don't know if Derrick Rose is a shy human, but it sounds like he's been, as he said, more vocal than he has been in his entire career. Yeah. Mentoring R.J. Barrett, men- mentoring Emmanuel Quickly, doing some mentoring of Julius Randle. He has been the old head in the locker room, making sure that everyone's a going according to the Tibbs vision, but also helping folks just get better. Yeah. I love emotional D-Rose. You remember after he scored 50 in Minnesota? I love emotional D-Rose. Me too. Ultimately, D-Rose is one of my favorite players when he's healthy. He's just so much fun to watch. He's probing. I mean, his three-point shooting has now come along as well. In the Clipper game, 25 points, 11 for 17, 5 and 8. He is now leading the dangerous Knicks into the playoffs. I don't know. I think the Knicks could go far. The way they're playing right now, they could go far. I mean, it looks like they're going to host a series. Like That's pretty sick. Yeah. I mean, could anybody have imagined that? Looks like they're going to be playing 4-5. I think that they make light work of the Atlanta Hawks. They're playing well, but yeah. Ooh, that's going to be fun. Fun. Light work of the Atlanta Hawks. Not you can probably a get joke. good value on that on the Knicks. Mm-hmm. Ooh, good betting right. opportunity. Right. Good betting opportunity. So then his impact. Let's talk about his impact in general. His the Knicks efficiency differential when Rose is on the floor is plus eleven point nine according to Cleaning the Glass. That is top four percent of all NBA players. Ooh, damn. Yeah, and we can assign all the the credit to Tom Thibodeau, but really this was a Leon Rose move. Leon Rose is the one signing off on all of these roster changes. And most people, let's just be honest, thought this was a garbage move. Like nobody thought this was going to be meaningful in any way. They thought it was a warm, heartwarming story and had nothing to do with basketball. Mm -hmm. But I mean, that's kind of the deal. 
I think uh, we were like, oh, you know, we'll see how it'll fit on a young roster, blah, blah, blah. How does this stunt everyone's growth? What does this mean for the young Knicks team and their timeline? And it appears that they knew what they were getting, right? It appears that they knew that when D. Rose was healthy, he was dangerous. He was lethal. He said that, Tib said that the only time Rose ever played poorly in his entire career has been when he's hurt. <laughs> I mean, I think that's kind of true. Yeah. I mean, he would, he'd be one that could make that call. Like, for, for sure. sure. Yeah. He's, he's seen been him there for most of it. Yeah. Yep. He's seen him a lot. Even in Detroit, D. Rose constantly prays for his veteran, veteran leadership, grooming Pistons draft pick, like I said, Killian Hayes. So. I think being a mentor to quickly another young guns is not shocking, but I think that all the buckets, consistent buckets are shocking. So uh, watching D Rose get buckets against one of the best defensive teams in the NBA at 32 years old. Like I think the Clippers (laughs) were supposed to put clamps on D Rose and that he was having none of that. Yeah. That's how it was supposed to go. That was how it was supposed to go. It was supposed to go kind of like how the Suns were supposed to beat the Lakers. Yeah, we can uh, we we'll, can move on. From that. We'll move on to that. <laughs> it was bad though. It was bad though for all the listeners. I'm scared. Yes, I'm. Sh- I am not sure where the where the Knicks would be without D Rose. I was thinking about. it. I think they'd be like a nine or a ten seed. I think they're that much better. And I'm not saying just because of what he's doing on the court. I think in terms of the development of the young guys and what quickly has said, what RJ has said, and how much they're gelling. I think D Rose. Low-key, super valuable to this Knicks organization. Um, let's move on. We got a little chitty-chat drama between Kitty Cat, Kitty Cat, and Jimmy Buckets. Call me Kitty Cat. <laughs> I just can't. People were mad when I called Carl Anthony Towns Kitty Cat, but I just... I just won't stop. I mean, he already like kind of calls himself that. So. I think so, too. Yeah. I just can't stop, won't stop. You know what I mean? Rockefeller, bang, bang. I'm not going to stop calling Carl Anthony <laughs> Towns kitty cat. It's just now what's happening. And we also now have Aunt Edwards in the mix, too, uh-huh. coming to Carl Anthony Towns' rescue like only Aunt Edwards can. So a little background for folks who are not up to speed. Jimmy Buckets and Carl Anthony Towns were teammates in Minnesota, actually with Tom Thibodeau. Butler Mm -hmm. was consistently unhappy given that Carl Anthony Towns and Wiggins were, how would you put it? (laughs) Hmm. Not giving effort all the time. I believe he said soft. Yep. Those were his words. Lazy, soft. And so then Jimmy was holding out. Jimmy's like, this is broken. I want you guys to give me a chance to actually win. And the organization was like, yeah, yeah. We're not going to give you those assurances. Mm -hmm. So Jimmy was like, yeah, yeah. Fuck you, basically. So then the organization tells Jimmy, you must attend practice. And he was like, why? Because we need you to attend practice, Jimmy. (laughs) And he's like, well, I don't really appreciate being told what to do because Jimmy is Jimmy. Right. I don't like authority. Don't fucking tell me what to do. And they're like, you will be going to practice. So Jimmy goes to practice. And then with the third team, busts everybody's ass and they win. Right. It was this whole drama filled thing. He then has an interview set up with Rachel Nichols right after. Yeah, that bothered me. That I'm sure it did. (laughs) However, though, Jimmy said that was booked weeks in advance. Mm -hmm. You don't believe him, but (laughs) the timing was a little sus, we'll say. Goes to the practice, all this chatter's popping, and he's got an interview playing on playing on ESPN NBA countdown kind of a deal. It was great theater. Great theater. He is calling Carl Anthony Towns and Wiggins. This is why I always bust your ass every time. I, every time I switch on you, you pass. Blah blah blah. So we'll say that there is a uh, bad blood, bad blood mm-hmm. between Carl Anthony Towns and Jimmy Butler. Forced his way out, made his way to Philly, then made his way to Miami. Right. Mm-hmm. So Miami then plays Minnesota Friday night, and I thought to myself, huh, I wonder. I wonder if this will be anything. It was something. It was something. (laughs) So Miami, who I've said has been very inconsistent all year, I thought to myself there was a chance that Minnesota can compete. But man, Jimmy was putting the clamps on. Jimmy was talking hella shit. And it all came to a head close to the end of the game when Butler said that Carl Anthony Towns was a loser. And he had already punked him once. And then he capped it off with classic Jimmy Butler, you're soft as baby shit. 
So, okay. Which he stole from This is the End, the movie. Correct. But I still, like, <laughs> also, as an aside, calling Carl Anthony Towns right now, baby shit soft, given everything that Carl Anthony Towns yeah. has gone through off the court, we'll just say he was meaning it around basketball, right? Yeah. So then Carl Anthony Towns responds to Butler and he says, you better call Rachel Nichols. love that love it that is the best chirp that's the best part so the microphones picked up the conversation and he was like okay the media is now being like all right what are we going to do with this what are we going to do we're going to ask jimmy we're going to ask him so they they it's aunt and carl anthony town sitting next to each other at the podium and they ask him like hey what was going on emotions were high between you and jimmy what was that Play the clip. Carl, there, there was um, microphones caught you and Jimmy having See, a little nervous conversation at the question. end of the game. You, I mean, <laughs> was the, were, were your emotions running high at that point? What was kind of going through your head as that game came to an end there? He didn't even know what to say. Man, they grown men, dog. This is <laughs> Ann Edwards. Talking, having a regular conversation when you ask me. I mean, if it's, if it's a – if y'all come to see us compete, it's, it's no competition if we not talk shit to each other. You know what I'm saying? So. Mm-hmm. If whatever y'all can take that with a grain of salt, like I said, they grown ass men, they having a conversation, regular, regular ass regular conversation. conversation. Well, that's why we asked the question, Ann, just to yeah. try and get the get your guys' yeah. view on it, right? Re- regular so. conversation. That's regular conversation. <laughs> yeah. nothing that's else, nothing more. Nothing else. Nothing more. That's what I'm gonna say when I shit talk somebody. It was just a regular ass conversation. You're a fucking loser. You're soft as baby shit. Go call Rachel Nichols. Regular ass conversation. Just two grown men just having a regular ass. Nothing ass, nothing more, nothing less. What do you think about Ant? Oh, I like him. I like the, when the 19 year old is like the rational one in the room. Yeah, like. I don't hey, know if rational is the word, but like seemingly. I don't know. It seemed like he was the sharpest one in that interchange. He's he's squashing the fire that it's very clear the media is trying to create. They want Carl Anthony Towns so bad to say something more about Jimmy Butler. And Ant's like, listen, they grow man, dog. Like, get out of here with this fucking question. I love it. I love it. A regular ass conversation. I'm not sure that that was, though. So... This is real beef. This To me, this is real beef. These guys don't like each other. I don't think they ever will like each other. And I think, uh, like with not knowing who A-Rod is, when Ant finds out the background to this, because I don't think he knows quite what the background he may not. is. He may not. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, what's up? what's up with y'all? What's up with y'all? Why is... <laughs> And he's like, here, let me send you this link. You know what this beef kind of reminds me of? It kind of reminds me of uh, Kobe Dwight. Yes. A little bit. Played together for one year. Just, yes. just didn't gel. Yeah. Yeah. And Kobe, I for, and also remember, there's now some little news coming out that James Harden asked to come off the bench in Houston so he didn't have to have any minutes with Dwight Howard. <laughs> I haven't seen that. He was like, yeah, can you just put me in? Can you just bring me in off the bench so that I can play with Clint Capella and that he can set screens for me? Because I don't want to play with Dwight. His screens are fucking garbage. He is garbage. He is soft. I think that's it's similar to everyone and Dwight Howard prior to his <laughs> fall. So safe to say this shit is not over between Cat, Kitty Cat, and Jimmy Buckets. And we'll be definitely keeping an eye on that more, especially now Aunt Edwards is probably going to come up to speed. So, all right. Another piece of news. I know this is... um. This is going to get you a little riled up, Marty. <laughs> a little bit. Sad news out of New Orleans. Actually sad. Zion, for the second straight year, has been hurt late in the season. Mm-hmm. Shut him down. The season's over for Zion. This time, fractured his ring finger out for the year. He was setting, he set a record for most points per game for a player shooting over 60%. 27.1. He is an unstoppable force. He was having his coming out party, but that's not really what this news is about. Nope. This news is really about how the Pelicans organization has reacted to to Zion's injury. So Stan Van Gundy, being the old man that he is, used Zion's injury to touch on an issue that has apparently been bugging him all year. I mean, there's been a lot of things (laughs) bugging Stan Van Gundy. 
Uh, I'm talking about how often they say Zion has been hammered this year. Pelicans executive David Griffin also went off after Zion's injury. He said that his that Zion's injury was a natural result of the way he's been officiated by the NBA refs this year. Yep, that's what he said. <laughs> that is what he said. He argued that Zion makes opponents play more physical against him. He The quote was, this is the best, he's been absolutely mauled. Uh-huh. Griffin and it said, Stan Van Gundy and the staff, this is the best part, that they were sending in video to the league all year <laughs> showing... How ridiculous these non non call fouls were to save Zion to protect Zion from potentially getting one of these injuries because it's not safe for Zion out there. <laughs> as long as these refs don't call these fouls, it's not safe. This is just some Mark Cuban bullshit. And like David Griffin, you don't have near the clout to do that. I mean, I guess you can do it, but I'm going to sit here and call it lame. And like, I'm sorry. Like, I know a lot of my following are big. Pelicans fans, but this is just a lame move in my opinion. I just, I, I hate it. He's played 85 games. <laughs> the league also thought it was lame. They fined them $50,000 for their comments. <laughs> so I was thinking about this because I, I believe there is a, how would I put it? There is a large argument on both sides. There is a group that says Zion is always fouled. He's always mauled. He gets no calls, zero calls for Zion. And then there's another group that's like, no matter what we do, we can put our hands behind our back, be straight up vertical. I think this happened actually in the Minnesota game. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, they were putting our hands behind our back. We're staying vertical. And like somehow a phantom call gets called for Zion. Zion gets too many calls. Have you noticed that? It's either no calls or too many calls. Uh, yeah, I would say I would say I have noticed that it. I mean, he is refereed a little strange because no one else plays the game right now in the way he plays. So I understand there is an issue like we need to have a little more consistency. But my issue with the thing is, if you're going to say that this is what caused his hand injury, just shut the fuck up. And the best part was we're not sure if it was that contact, that one. Yeah. Or if it happened, or if like three weeks ago, it was a continuation injury, like a continuation foul. It's like, it just erodes. His finger was eroding over time. Yeah, I mean, that's... <laughs> that's how an injury That's how goes. the human body goes. That's works. how the like, human body goes. I don't know. There's just, there's so many players that I think don't get calls that, and Zion isn't even like up on that list for me. I think he gets plenty called. Like, I mean, let's see, I'll put, I'll put Shea up there when I watch him. He gets killed. Uh, you know, I'm going to say Devin Booker doesn't get the respect he deserves. Even though Dame uh, is top five in free throws, I think he gets hit a lot. I would, yeah, yeah, I would put Dame, uh, CJ when he's playing a mm-hmm. lot doesn't really get the respect he should. Uh, yeah, no, I think it's way more an issue with guards than it is just bulldozer forwards. Like, yeah. So, how many foul calls does Zion get? You might ask. <laughs> he is, is he, is he like? Just does never get getting any calls? Is he at the bottom of this list, Marty? No. Zion is top three in the NBA for free throws attempted this year. There are multiple articles about how Zion actually should be getting called and could be getting called for an offensive foul nearly every possession. Yeah, I mean, I... He is a bulldozer. I, yeah, I mean, I don't want to turn this into a full-on Zion like hate fest. I, like I Zion. No, 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 I do too. But he does kind of lean with the elbow a lot on his drives. Yeah, he does. He is well. He's so big. The he is so strong. Know. He is so powerful. And like he goes downhill, and it's like a fucking truck is coming your way. Mm-hmm. And then you get the blocking foul when it's really like a bulldozer that has squashed you like a little bug. Yeah. So Griffin said Zion's been getting beaten on more than anyone said Shaq. I don't know about that. It was egregious and horrific then, he says. The same is true now. Ah, hmm. That is just a quote for the ages. I don't I don't like these GMs and these coaches coming out 
and saying these things and bitching and complaining. But if you're Zion, you have to feel like these people are at least sticking up for me. Yeah. You know. Hey, where were these comments when you were the assistant GM of the Suns, Mr. Griffin? If you're saying Shaq was being egregiously <laughs> the fouled. The big cactus. Where, where were you? Where was this comment? Like, <laughs> Where were you protecting the big cactus? All the jumping choyas. So I would say this. If Zion wants more foul calls, Zion hasn't said a goddamn word about this. And maybe that's what part of it is, is that Zion's not complaining enough. If you want more foul calls, Zion, complain more. Sure. No, 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 no. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Do what LeBron did. Luka. Do what Luca does. Luca has. Trey. Trey Luca's also top five in free throws attempted. And the reason Trey also top five in and because they all complain. Mm-hmm. They get a bad rap for it. It hurts their reputation. It hurts their likability. But at the same time, if you want the calls, you got to get up in those refs' face. Well, Trey's also smart. Trey's kind of figured out if if like if I just stop mid drive, they're gonna call. And Trey just kind of Luca too. With, yeah, yeah, yeah. But with Trey, I think it's more like he just like outsmarted the refs. And for but Luca's just a complainer. Like Luca yeah. complains, but so KD. I was gonna put this in the news section but it was too small kd on his podcast basically said the same thing about luca is that luca pretends <laughs> that he's not athletic he's like plays <laughs> he plays possum like he's slow and then he gets around you and then he stops short and you've gone to chase him down because all of a sudden he's put the afterburners on you're like where the fuck did this speed come uh-huh. from and then he slows down again it takes advantage of the takes reaction advantage yeah. of the reaction time boom foul call so listen Big men are strong and big. They're going to get hit on the arm. It's going to look less meaningful than a guard does. That's just the way it goes. So unless Zion complains, it's going to be a lot more ice bass for him in the next years unless they, I guess, change the rules possibly about what constitutes a flagrant foul. I think that was what also Griffin is asking for. Change <laughs> change these to be flagrants. I don't think we need more flagrant fouls. No. I mean, did you see Luca? Luca also got... Uh, ejected for the nut shot on Colin Sexton, which apparently another little tiny little sprinkle of news I didn't think about bringing up is that the whole league apparently fucking hates Colin Sexton. So <laughs> apparently that nut shot was for everyone. Yeah, I think it was unintentional. I don't know. I take those seriously. I don't I don't think Luke is the type of guy. That's no, just gonna neither, go, yeah. neither do I. All right. Oh, man, folks. Folks, folks, we have a world-class smear campaign on our hands. Something is happening in Indiana right now, and it is disgusting, (laughs) honestly. It is gross. It shows you everything that's wrong with the world, everything that is wrong with the NBA, a full narrative that has been manufactured, created, strategic, organized, Take down, and I tell you what, Marty, it is fucking sus. <laughs> it is sus, so sus. The more you look into it, the more sus it becomes. That's what's crazy, mm-hmm. right? All right. It all centers around Nate Bjorkren, the head coach for the Indiana Pacers. Been there just one year. We talked about this in our last episode. Woj bomb, lots of articles came out. <laughs> right? Yep. Since then, since just Friday. Since just then, <laughs> shit has hit the fan even more, even more. So full-blown issue on our hands. Not only are these articles coming after Nate, though, now, they're coming after the front office of the Indiana Pacers. They are accusing the front office of not doing their due diligence. Why would they hire him? They didn't ask him any questions. They only asked him about basketball. They didn't look into his demeanor. They only they only care about him and wanted to hire him because of their Iowa connections. I mean, it is a full hmm. on. It is a thing. It is a thing. All right. So it all started where? It all started with the Woj bomb. This is the bomb. This is the sound of the Woj bomb. Right. <laughs> if I was an investigator. That's where I would begin, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because this is what we're looking at is who, what, where, when, and why. What's happening, right? Because it's not, we now know, and I'll talk about this in a bit. There's things that are coming out that are just not true. The Woj bomb, how does Woj get his information? It's given to him. Sometimes Woj does a little digging. Sometimes Woj receives a phone call. 
right? Yeah. Sometimes Woj is given information from a front office member or a former front office member or a former coach, XYZ, X, right? Sometimes it's like an equipment guy. Woj has got his little fingertips everywhere, right? Yeah. Gets a call, gets a tip. And then he's like, am I going to detonate this Woj bomb or am I going to let it sit? Sometimes he lets it sit. Sometimes he detonates it. This one, he <laughs> detonated, right? Okay. Here's how I know that it's organized. There's misdirection. There's misinformation. Whatever you want to call it, unnamed sources. There's people outside the league talking about it and aimed at anyone and everyone associated with Nate Bjorkren. Anyone who, has, who Nate Bjorkren has touched ever, like in a ethereal kind of way, not like actually physically touched, right. but yeah. anyone he's <laughs> been in contact with professionally is now named in this article. Multiple hit pieces dropped around the same time from all directions. Some of them are chronicling his time in Phoenix. Some of them are calling him a master manipulator in Toronto. A master manipulator in Toronto. Some are citing that TJ Warren was so traumatized by Nate when they were together in Phoenix, he immediately asked for a trade when Nate Bjorkman came on board as the head coach and then <laughs> elected to have season-ending uh, season surgery for an injury he could have played through because he was so tired of Nate. Some now are going after Kevin Pritchard and Chad Buchanan saying, hey, what were they thinking? There makes no sense to be hiring Nate, Mc or Nate Bjorkman after Nate McMillan. Questioning all of the things about why they made those decisions. Like I said, was it nepotism? What was clouding their judgment? They're friends with him, et cetera, et cetera. Is, yes, there's an Iowa fucking Illuminati running shit out in Indiana. Like, <laughs> wild. And it is taking its toll. The game after the Woj bomb and the ensuing chaos, Bjorken then had to give this like full on pregame presser to address his issues. Yes, it's on me. I take responsibility for the lack of communication. And then you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, if the Pacers really like Nate, then they'll play for him. And then you know what they did? They laid down and they stayed down. They got their <laughs> shit blown out. And not only did they get blown out, an assistant coach, Greg Foster, went after backup center, Goga, during the game. And Goga then told him, sit your ass down. Shut the fuck, sit your ass down. And then they got he got suspended, Greg Foster. Then Bjorkren apparently, I don't know if this is true, met with the Pacers after the loss until 1 a.m. to sort it through. <laughs> Wait, you just kept them there? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I guess they like we're all having a little powwow. Okay, all right. So then it got worse. Another article came out questioning Nate Bjorkren's mental state. They said some sources around the league. That's what you can say. This is what you say. Some sources around the league. I could say that. Yeah. And then you insert lie. Some sources <laughs> around the league say Nate Bjorkren is having mental issues and possibly headed down towards a mental breakdown. Are you starting to see what I'm seeing? I am. I am. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing is as devastating to you and your professional career. To someone questioning whether you are mentally stable. That is the nail in the motherfucking coffin. If that stuck, that's career ruining. You do not come back from Nate's got something wrong with the ticker. You know what I mean? Don't you don't come back from that. Here's the thing, though, about whisper campaigns. It's impossible to refute them. No one knows what's true. What's not true. What's partially true. That was that's kind of how they're designed. You can't figure out what's real and what's not real. But there's something for sure going on with Nate. We don't know what it is because the smear campaign is moving from so many different directions to have Bleacher Report, CBS, Woj, Shams, to have everyone come out with articles simultaneously and that not raise a couple of red flags. <laughs> and they're not all the same all curated off of one article, right? Like you see these aggregators and they really just take Woj and then they write their own article. No, no. This was all its own individual investigative reporting. Okay. All different things. Little types of sprinkling in different articles. Hmm. Just different shit. Different shit. Yep. Hmm. 
Hmm, hmm, hmm. But we do know that some of it is completely false. Completely false. How do we know? Enter your boy, Nick Nurse. Nick Nurse came out and discussed, after a game, all of the chatter surrounding Nate Bjorkman. In case you have to be caught up, Nate and Nick met each other in 1994 when Nick was one of Nate's assistant coaches at the University of South Dakota. So they go way the fuck back. Jack rabbits. Jack uh, coyotes. Okay. Coyotes. Then he went to work for Nick when Nick started the Iowa Energy G League team. And then he came on as one of his top assistants when he became the head coach of the Toronto Raptors. Here is what Nick had to say. Certainly no fun, I'm sure, for him. And it's no fun for me to see, to see um, you know, one of my best friends go through that. That's my first thought. Uh, my second thought is I'm not real crazy, but this is the age we live in. I'm not real crazy of the journalistic integrity. I mean, you know, they find a, a former G League player who, who knows who it was. They won't name anybody. It's a former Western Conference exec. It's a former it, – nothing's – legitimate legitimate to me and um that doesn't matter doesn't matter it's out there everybody starts running with it it's i I know there was there was some section i was made aware of today that involved what his time at toronto and that was 100 percent false it was absolutely a bold-faced lie what they printed so you know it hurts to see him go through it and it hurts that for whatever reason whoever's behind you know, this kind of um, reporting doesn't do better. Oh, doesn't do better. <laughs> this is the bomb. This is the bomb to the Woj bomb. Bald face lie. Listen, if you're Nick Nurse and it's not a lie and you say that's a bold face lie, it will come out that you are fucking lying. So you don't say that unless it's lies. You don't. Yeah, you don't drag yourself into it. You don't drag yourself. You'll say, oh, you know, I don't want to talk about it. You know, Nate and I were close and we had a good time in Toronto, blah, blah. What's going on with him is about him. You don't put yourself and insert yourself and basically send an arrow into the ether against all journalists. Unless there's some lies going on. Unless it's some bad reporting. And none of it is true, according to Nick Nurse. And Nick is not the only one who has come out. To Nate's defense. This is where it gets fishy to me. Fishy, fishy. Fishy, fishy. Former players have come out in complete support of Bjorkren. Fred Van Fleet said, if you don't like Nate, you're crazy. There's something wrong with you. (laughs) Kyle Lowry calls Nate the fucking man. Ryan Wolstat, the Raptors beat reporter for the Toronto Sun, said, everyone I've talked to has been effusive It's very high, Mm -hmm. effusive in their praise (laughs) about him. He literally could not find a bad word about the guy. So if he's a shithead, then you should be able to find plenty of people who are going to give you some negative reviews. Or at least not find this many people to come out and vouch for him. Correct. Pacers guard TJ Warren, the one who elected to have season ending surgery. The one who apparently decided he wanted to be traded as soon as Nate got the head coaching gig, according to Bleacher Report. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Replied to the Bleacher Report reporter and said, don't use me to spin your false narratives. I would say that's damning. Tony Buckets. Tony Buckets. And the Indy Star even noted that multiple league sources dispute much of what is being reported. How is it possible that you could find one of the best beat reporters in the league who's, I would say, motivated, highly motivated to corroborate this story because holy shit, and he can't find one negative review about the guy. Right, yeah, no. He's with the Raptors, who apparently he was a maniacal, evil genius subverting every bit of information from coming to Nick Nurse. It was like, you can't talk to Nick unless you talk to fucking me. Okay, those people are still working there. Yeah. So if you're the beat reporter for the Toronto Sun, big investigator, big uh, journalistic enterprise, you can't go and talk to those people and they, what, they're not going to tell you the truth? 
Well, you sure know he wants to after seeing how many clicks this other article's Correct. doing. He wants to get his own. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, if he came up with nothing, that that's that that's telling. It's a little telling. Only one way to describe it: organized smear campaign designed to take Nate Bjorkren down. But why? That's the big question. It's like, what's the motive? Why would someone want to go through all of these hoops? I've never seen an article like this. I've never seen so (laughs) many damning statements made against a guy who's just getting his start as a head coach. What is the motive? Who benefits from Nate being fired? And Furthermore, who benefits from an overhaul of the Pacers organization as a whole? Because what this feels like is not just Nate that's going to get fired, maybe, or that they want to be fired, maybe. It's Kevin Pritchard and it's Chad Buchanan. If someone goes down, though, someone else steps in their place, right? Mm. If it's coordinated and strategic, it is a group and it is designed to cause harm therefore meets said definition of a fucking conspiracy. We have an NBA (laughs) conspiracy, Marty. (laughs) We have an NBA conspiracy. The question remains who? Who is at the center of this? Because I am pretty certain that this is now, like, truthfully an organized, designed thing, right? Mm -hmm. So who is the mastermind? I think I know, but I'm not going to say because that guy is so fucking scary that me even saying it would put a target on my fucking back. So I am not saying a word. But what I will say is Robert Ori involved. No, no. (laughs) If Nate does not survive this and the front office does not survive this, then we know who was connected to and pulling the strings behind the scenes based on who steps in. This is the ultimate this league i'm overcoming the obstacles i'm cracking the impossible you said i was being illogical but i have become the unstoppable and why would i stop got a lot to do I'm trying to travel where it's tropical don't call me i ain't calling you so we just talked about the pacers and nate's head on the chopping block um but there are some good things going on with the pacers so i think we should really go into them uh nate mcmillan was fucking slow well that's what we know He runs the slow, methodical, bottom-of-the-barrel offense. And now the Pacers are pacing, (laughs) fast pace, top five in pace of play. So a lot of casuals would ask, if you don't know what a play-in tournament is, you might not know what pace of play is So or how it's it's actually like figured out, right? Pace of play is defined as the amount of possessions per game. The more possessions that you have per game, the faster they say you play. Mm -hmm. Why does that matter? Well, because if you play fast like the Milwaukee Bucks do, and you also can defend like the Milwaukee Bucks do, if you go on a 10-0 run, it is nearly impossible to come back. That's what happens when you can put the clamps on, right? Right. Major problems come playoff time. You're going to have a lot of 10-0 runs if you're someone like Milwaukee. Pace of play rankings may be one of the most fascinating stats, charts that you can find, I guess. Because at the top, you find some of the most dangerous teams in the league right now. Washington, Golden State, Milwaukee. These teams push the pace of play between 104 and 106 possessions per game. Bucks, Warriors. It's insane that I'm even talking about the Wizards <laughs> and the Warriors being good at defense, but they are right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that they will be problems come playoff time because I do not think people want to play them because they are very tough. But get this. The five slowest teams in the league in pace of play. New York, Knicks, Miami, Clippers, Denver, and Phoenix. 98 to 99 possessions per game. Mm-hmm. Five of the best teams in basketball playing slow Slow. So I think it means this. If you play fast and you play defense like Washington and Golden State and Milwaukee, you pose huge problems with people and teams that can't match your pace and put pressure on them if they have to play from behind because you also play solid defense. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you play fast and you can't play defense, I mean, like the Pacers, you're just not very good. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about how this works is that that's still – Pretty fast, 98.2 possession. Like, if you go back, like, 20 years, that's, like, leading the league. So it's still, like, 
I, I, I mean, it, it definitely is, you know, compared the to the rest of the side. league. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's, it, I don't know. It's just interesting how much that stat has. There's not a ton of variation. Yeah. Um, but you do see that the Knicks and particularly the Clippers do feel like they play slightly slow, right? Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. You can see it for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. And the Heat. It's usually, though, because of this. You've got folks you can run your offense through these superstar players like Jokic, yeah, like Jokic, like Devin Booker or CP3, mm-hmm. Kawhi, Butler, Randall. And all five of those are also top defensive teams. So I think that also decreases the amount of possessions by the defense as well. Oh, yeah, certainly. Yeah, and they also don't rush the pace of play like a team yeah. oh, like yeah. Milwaukee mm-hmm. does. Like they get out and run. I think Indiana shoots with like, 21 seconds on the shot clock like all the time that's really where you see it is like how eager teams are to get like a tough layup and transition or if they'd rather just get in their offense and stuff right. that's where you really see it yeah i actually think though that phoenix likes getting transition buckets they do but certainly i don't i we pull the ball back out a lot just to, to cp3 i don't know I feel, I feel like i've just seen it a lot like if tory craig's on like the run he'll like kick it back out to cp to start i think that's absolutely correct i think Probably that goes with veteran leadership as well. I think so too. When you all those guys besides Randall are guys who who have championship caliber talent, right? Mm-hmm. CP three, I think he's known to be one of the better leaders in the league. Um, you've got Kawhi, but Jimmy Butler as well. Like they know how to slow their team down to prevent them from making mistakes. So, and also on top of that, like if you need to. You can just bleed the clock out like your Georgia football. Just like run it. Just run, run, <laughs> run, run. And like the team just doesn't get the ball back, especially at the end of games. Like you just drain it all the way to the end of the shot clock. So, um, yeah. So I think these teams also can run as well. Like you see that Phoenix can get out and run. They're not like not athletic. Same thing with the Knicks. They right. can get out into transition. They can play fast. Um, but it's the teams in the middle uh, who fucking struggle. Man, they struggle. They can't rely on measured play, and they can't rely on uh, they can't race, and they have problems. Those are the teams like that I think could get bounced. That are good teams like the Jazz, the Lakers, Portland, Boston, but they just they're just middle of everything. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it shows that you can't really run and gun if you're a bad defensive team unless you're Indiana, and that is not good. They're just not good. <laughs> like, I don't think Indiana should be pushing the pace as much as they are, but I think because they're, they've got like that directive where they are supposed to play fast because they're coming off of like the Nate McMillan slow, um, that they're changing that. They're 25th in opponents' points, points per game. All of those teams can be bounced early, I think. So, yeah, I think the pay, the playoffs is where we're going to see things get interesting. I'm I'm curious as to which team, whether they're the top in the pace of play or the bottom of the pace of play, which one ends up winning the title. Ooh, that is interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it is. I mean, the, the game always changes in the playoffs. For so, sure. yeah, no, that actually is, yeah, super interesting to see what's going to happen. Yeah. I personally believe that it will be a team that can be deliberate. And and slow it down yeah. versus fast up tempo because I've seen this with the Blazers a lot when you play fast and you play up tempo and then you you just like go on a cold streak then things get away from you fucking super fast yeah not for sure um all right let's get into some DMs. Okay, leading off, this is a a classic one. Uh, Are the Hawks better without Trey Young? Man, are the Hawks better without Trey Young? (laughs) People hate him. They really do. They really do. He is one of the most polarizing players. I don't quite understand why. Yeah, I I just think the small guard, a lot of people aren't really in on that. And yeah, I don't, I don't, just the type of player he is, just a lot of people aren't in on is that. Is it connected to Luka? Possibly. Yeah. It's really hard to say what's going on with the Hawks. Sometimes they look great. Sometimes they look absolutely fucking trash. Like they've beaten the Heat, the Bucks, and the Suns, and they've lost to the Pacers and the Pistons. So who are they? I don't know. And and Trey has been in and out of the lineup for injuries. So it's it's hard for me to figure them out. They're five and four with Trey this year, which is about what 
they're they're five and four without Trey this year, which is about what they play percentage wise with him. So I'm not sure. The criticism of Trey is that he shoots too much, right? Like that he just is yeah. a chucker. They they average about five more shots a game when he plays versus when he doesn't. So I don't think that's actually that much more. Is it? I don't think it's that much more. But that Nate McMillan slow offense sort of does not match with, I think, what Trey Young wants to do. I don't think that Trey would particularly like to play methodically like uh, like Phoenix or, or the Knicks. <laughs> so this is the interesting thing, though. When Trey Young does not score more than 20, this team loses. Pretty much almost always. Yeah. They are 6-10 and 10 when he scores under 20. So is this team better without Trey Young? I think that they are equal when Trey Young is not on the floor, and they are much worse when Trey Young is on the floor and not performing. So I don't know if that answers the question, but that's my answer. I think it was pretty good. Okay. Uh, if you switch Tom, uh, Tom Thibodeau and Steve Nash, how would that change each team? If you switch Tom Thibodeau and put him on the Nets and Steve Nash and put him on the Knicks, how does each team change? I mean, that's a good question, isn't it? I mean, Tibbs would have been fired by now. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's facts. That's big facts. Let's look at the Nash-led Knicks first. We're not, we know that they will not play defense. They will not. Sure. This Knicks team would be nowhere. We know that if their opponents go on runs, he will do nothing to stop them. He will not call a timeout. Did you see when the the Nets lost to the Bucks and they came back and then the Bucks went on a 16-0 run? And then they asked Steve Nash, they said, hey, so when you guys went on a run, 8-0 run, Budenholzer called a timeout. When they went on a 16-0 run, you did not call a timeout. What gives? And he was like, in hindsight, <laughs> probably should have. Probably should yeah. have. <laughs> That's not a guy that I think would do well with a bunch of young guys that need discipline and accountability. Steve Nash is a player's coach to the nth degree in a way that he's kind of like a substitute teacher. Where it's like, you guys just all figure it out. I know you love him so much. You guys just all figure it out. Like, I'll, I'll give you my thoughts about, you know, my MVP seasons and how to play the game. But like, in-game adjustments, I'm not sold. Not sold. I think they would be tremendously worse. I think the Knicks would be, I, man, I think that they would be where they were last year. Where they were last year. 20 wins. I, I do agree they'd be worse with Nash. Way worse. Yeah. Also, like your point, let's look at Tibbs on the Nets. He would be fired by now. <laughs> he would be already, already gone. The narrative about him would be completely solidified. He runs guys into the ground. He's too tough. He runs these three-hour-long practices. Like, everything that we have heard about Tibbs, none of the good things that we've heard recently, they would all be to the forefront. He is not going to be well-liked by stars like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and James Harden. I do not think that would work whatsoever. No. He would be like, hey, I've been thinking about And they're like, er, no, we got this. <laughs> we are champions. We have championship DNA. And Tibbs would be like, I do not care. I do not care. So I think he would have benched Kyrie Irving when he went on walkabout. Like, you're just not going to play. Yeah. I don't think he's going to say, I have not heard from Kyrie like Steve Nash did. I think he would be at Kyrie's house. <laughs> I think he would have shown up there. So I think both of these teams are in the best possible places for them. Or these, these coaches are in the best possible place for their teams. And I think that just goes to show you that some coaches are just it's a fit thing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Both are happier, I'm sure, where they're at. <laughs> okay. Uh, would the Celtics prefer to have Terry Rozier now or Kimba Walker? I like this one. Woo! Man, it's a hotly contested topic in the office. People, there are, I love Kemba Walker. Let me just say that. Oh, yeah. I love Kemba. I love watching Kemba. A healthy Kemba is one of my top five players in the league to watch. Just a great dude, too. Just a great Over, dude. Overachiever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love, Correct. Kim, love Kimba. But, boy, Terry Rozier, he has been balling. 43, 5, and 4 just last night. Mm -hmm. Close loss against the Pelicans. I think if you asked people before last season began, it would not, it would be 0 to 100%. 
Like everyone would take Kemba. No one would take Terry Rozier. When he played in Boston, he was like, he was fine. He was a fine player. He came in and provided a spark. But 43, 5, and 4 is a lot more than a spark, isn't it? Like that is fucking (laughs) a legitimate player. And I think now it is a legitimate debate. I think mostly to do with injuries, Kemba has been down, down. He was one of the most durable players in the league, and he has missed 26 games already this year. He missed a bunch last year. This is a team struggling to make a play-in when their roster looks like it should be yielding much better results, as you've said. Weird sort of collection of assets. Yep. And Terry, three games missed this year. And on top of that, the argument is, okay, so when they are playing, how good are they? Kemba, 19, 4, and 5, and his slash line, 42, 36, and 90. Terry, slightly better, 21, 4, and 4, 46, 40, and 82. Just a slightly worse, I would say significantly worse free throw shooter. But Terry Rozier is statistically better in almost every way. He's a better defender. Then then Kemba, definitely something that Boston right now could certainly use. Here's what Mitch Kupchak had to say about the trade. At the time, we believed in the kid. We saw a great opportunity when we were losing Kemba, who we wanted to keep, but they didn't want to give Max money to. Now we know why. And then he didn't say that. I said that. (laughs) And then for (laughs) some reason that made Terry available to do a double sign and trade, which was a unique opportunity for us to get young talent. Now he does continue to get better and he's a much harder worker than I thought on both sides of the ball. Yeah. So Terry Rozier, I think it's a, is it a hot take? Is it a scalding take? I take Terry Rozier every time right now. Yeah, I think you have to right now. You have to. Kemba is getting paid a shitload of money. 35 this year and another 74 million over the next two. And Terry Rozier is making 18 million a year, which is like role player money. That's it. That is absurd. Alan Crabb was making more money than Terry Rozier. So if I had to choose one, Rozier all day. All right. Next question. <laughs> okay. Now we have, uh, should the Orlando Magic be relegated? I mean, what a great question. Should the Orlando Magic be relegated? They just lost by 50? Yes, they should. <laughs> That's the end. That's it. That's the take. That's all the time that we have for the This League podcast. What a way to get out of it. Please subscribe. Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It makes a massive difference for us. Uh, We're also coming out with This League playoff merch. I think it's going to be one t-shirt for every team. Um, Please do not forget to follow us at This League and at Trista Crick on TikTok, IG, Follow this league on YouTube. And also, a couple of rules. I will block the shit out of people who put toxicity in the comment section. So <laughs> keep it respectful. Chirp me, debate me, but nothing toxic. Thank you for listening. We will see you Friday morning, early squirrely. Hopefully, Marty is feeling better. His eyes are <laughs> so bloodshot right now. I thought we were going to make it through. <laughs> he was uh, going to put water bottles. He's put, putting water bottles on his face the entire show. So I've lived in Louisiana my whole life, and I'm getting used to the New York spring. Prayer, prayers up for Marty. That's all the time that we have. The bigger they come, the harder they fall. It's time to risk it all. Get off.
gotta risk it just to get a biscuit. Biscuit. How many licks does it take to lick it? She wanna lick a trapper, but she already to lick the rapper. Oh my, oh my, so fly, so fly. Three six mafia, I stay fly, I stay fly. Quality just to get by. I want it all, not a piece of the pie. Everybody eats, everybody, and we keep all of the receipts. We ain't good, we living good. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.